Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor of Faith on Hill. I'm going to put 20 minutes on the timer, and while I do that, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Verse 1 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God and instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Wait a minute. Aren't all those things important? Why are we moving on from them and not going back to them again? Because... What the writer is saying is kind of a couple of things. One is there are branches of faith that seem to indicate that a person needs to continually be saved. And what I mean by that is this. You hear these stories, especially in kind of revivalist sort of churches, where somebody, there's an altar call. That's what they call them. You know, come on up to the front and place your faith in Jesus. Publicly declare that you believe in Jesus. And you hear stories about people who do that constantly. You know, maybe they they went up when they were eight years old, and then when they were 12 at camp, they went up, and then when they were 18, they went up again on a Sunday morning, and then when they were 22, they were at some kind of church retreat, and they went up again. And And the writer is kind of saying, if you believe in Jesus, if you have saving faith, it is enough. You don't have to go and and again, go back and wash yourself again. You don't have to again do the sacrifices because that's what they had to do in the old covenant system. Every year they had to go offer on the day of atonement. They had to go offer the sacrifice for sin. Every time they had to go back and do the cleansing rituals again and again. And he's saying you have been cleansed once and for all. Let's move on. Let's not pretend any longer that we need anything other than Jesus. Let's go in and speak about these things. Like we talked about last time, how he said, you're, you're like little babies. You can't handle real food, but it's time to eat a salad. It's time, it's time to have some dinner. It's time to not just eat the, the, the formula, but to have real food. So that's kind of what he's saying here. And this idea of like, it's not that he's saying that these things aren't important. We should always have a focus on the gospel. No Christian should hear the gospel preached and be bored or feel like, oh, I've heard this before. Whenever I hear the gospel preached, I am reminded of the great work that God has done for me. I am reminded of the great work that Jesus has done as he has cleansed me from my sins and saved me. And I'm so grateful. But, verse 4, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks the rain often, falling on it, and that produces a crop useful for those whom is farmed receives the blessings of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to know the same diligence to the very end 
so that you may that you may uh, sorry so that what you hope for may be fully realized we do not want you to become lazy but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised all right who there's a lot to unpack there let's talk about this those who have tasted the heavenly gift shared in the Holy Spirit tasted the goodness of the word of God, the power of this coming age, but have fallen away. Will not, it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. The writer here, I, I believe, even though it's not abundantly clear, I think from context, it's, it's very reasonable to think that they are referencing Jesus's teaching of the parable of the sower. You may remember this one. It's pretty well known. Jesus said that a man went out into a field, a farmer went out into a field with a bag of seed and began to sow the seed. He's, you know, plowed it. It's ready to grow. It's all soft and ready. But the farmer just threw seed everywhere. And some seed landed on that well-worn, rocky soil. And it couldn't, couldn't take any root. And the birds of the air came and snatched it away. Now, birds in the, in the Bible often represent evil, sin, the world. And as somebody who doesn't particularly like birds, it's a big joke in my family. My kids love to remind me that I don't like birds and that I'm a little bit, I have an irrational fear of a lot of birds, um, that uh, I like that they represent evil. If you love birds, my grandma loved birds so much. If you like birds, God bless you. Then the farmer sowed again and some fell on shallow soil. It wasn't good soil. It wasn't deep. And, and there was a little something that came up, but when the sun came out, it didn't have enough roots to get enough nutrients and water from the soil because it was in shallow, unhealthy soil and it burnt up and died. Some landed in the thorns and there was a sprouting, but it was choked out while other seed landed in the good soil that had been tilled and cultivated and prepared. And it grew and grew and grew and life came. I believe that is what the writer is referencing, that teaching from Jesus. There are those who profess faith, who respond in faith, and they're around for a little bit. And then there's no root and it goes away quickly. Or the thorns come and choke out life and it dies. One of the main central debates within Christianity is whether a person is once saved, always saved, or can a person lose their salvation? I believe that the Bible teaches that I am secure in God. I don't believe there is any teaching that indicates that I could one day wake up and do something and God says, you know what? I'm just tired of Adam. He's done. Forget him. I don't believe that there is any way in which God will stop loving me. Romans 8 makes it clear. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the scripture. That is the word of God. And at the same time, Jesus taught about those who the seed took root and died. There was growth, there was life, and it died. Jesus taught that. 
And in Revelation, Jesus talked about those whose names are blotted from the book of life. These are warnings that we take seriously. I do not believe a person can lose their salvation. I do not believe a person can get God to stop loving them. But I do believe that a person can reject and walk away from their salvation. Now, there are large swaths of the church, generally speaking, found in the Reformed tradition, uh, who would not agree with what I just said. And that's fine. I have many, many friends who disagree with me, and I'm, I'm not interested in like losing friendship or fellowship with them over this. But that being said, the scripture teaches both that I am secure in my faith, that I am secure in the love of God, and that there are people who reject what they have been given. And that's uncomfortable. So I say this, friends, do not live in fear that God will stop loving you or that you're going to wake up one day and you're, I'm not saved anymore. I don't know what to do. But don't, also don't be foolish to think that just because you prayed a prayer, just because you became a church member, just because you were baptized, just because you experienced a spiritual moment what you think, I think, I think that was the Holy Spirit. Just because that happened, it doesn't mean that everything's good and guaranteed and then you can put it on autopilot. There is a lot of mystery concerning the things of God. I know people who don't know when they were saved. I know people who responded in faith, you know, when they were like 15 and for a while it was there and then they just kind of went their own way and then in their mid-20s, something seemed to really click. I don't know. Were they saved at a younger age or at an older age? They don't know. I don't know. I trust God to know those things. We aren't God and we can't uh, pretend to understand everything that's going on. At the same time, I don't want to give people a false hope or a false assurance that just because you were confirmed, just because you were a church member, just because you were baptized, just because you took communion, just because you had an emotional experience, that you are somehow safe and secure. Verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. He's saying, if you reject Jesus, how could you crucify him again? There's no other way to be saved. Are there people who have gone so far that they cannot be saved? There are indications in the scripture that that is the case. I would say that I don't know if I've ever met anybody who I would say that was the case for. Or if I have, it has been one out of thousands, tens of thousands of people that I've interacted with in my life. We have seen people walk away for decades. And by the grace of God, they have returned to faith and are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. Praise the Lord. But if somebody, very spiritual, very religious, but the fruit of repentance is not keeping in their life, at some point you just got to say like, what happens? You know, when I lived in, I've lived a few times in very agricultural areas. And every so often, you know, when we were living in the Napa Valley, every so often you'd be driving through the valley or you'd head over into Sonoma Valley and uh, you'd see stuff there. And you would every so often see these large piles where they had gone in with equipment and they had torn up all of the grapevines 
because the, the grapevines have a lifespan. Uh, you know, apple trees have a lifespan. Their fruit, fruit trees in general have a certain productivity lifespan and then they stop being productive. They stop being fruitful. And so they're torn up and they were piled up and then eventually they were burned. These, these large piles of vines so that they could be replaced with life-giving plants. And at the same time, somebody might say, oh, I've done this, I've done this. And, and, and God knows the time and the place and everything. And he says, you know what? There's no life here. I think we should all have a certain caution that I could make choices. I could make choices to walk away from Jesus. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I could make choices to walk away from Jesus. My reformed friends would say, well, then you were never saved to begin with. What hope is that? Look, I think I've been really clear. Sunday mornings, podcasts, everywhere where I've ever taught the Bible. I want to have charity and love and respect for all believers. I don't want to get in fights with believers who have different theological opinions than I do. But if someone professes faith and then walks away and somebody goes, well, they were never saved to begin with, what hope is that? How do I know that my faith isn't fake and that I was never saved to begin with? We have the assurity of the love of God, Romans chapter 8. We abide in him as he abides in us. The Holy Spirit is in us, giving us the power that we need for victory in this life. I don't worry that I wasn't saved, but I'm not so foolish and so arrogant as to think that I couldn't go to a dark or a bad place and I couldn't make horribly foolish choices. We all need to be aware of that. Now, in context, because I can hear some things that my Reformed friends might be saying, those who do not agree with my teachings here, and that's fine. In context, too, it is possible that what the writer is talking about is not salvation, Rather, what the writer is talking about is somebody who was trying to be religious apart from Jesus. And I've known people like that who have tried church, who have tried Christianity. Oh, this is good. I'm going to learn the the words and I'm going to learn the the jargon and I'm going to learn the songs and I'm going to learn the rituals. And oh, this is what you do. Okay. And I will learn all that. And I will try to figure out my life within the context of Christian faith. But they themselves have no actual faith. And they've gone through all of the motions of faith. And they've taken communion and they were baptized in the name of Jesus, but it wasn't real for them or within them. And, and so the writer is, could be saying, how could you do that again? You've tried all these things. I'm open to that as an interpretation as well. Verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by than himself. He swore by himself. I referenced this on a recent video. Sometimes we, there's things on a Sunday morning that we could talk about, but either it doesn't fit with the bigger context of the message or we just don't have time. And so I do these sermon extras. And I recently referenced this verse in a sermon extra where I was talking about, um, aliens. Um, and that's always a fun, popular top topic. So you can go check that one out, but that's not what the writer's talking about here. 
When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater than himself to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by somebody greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled to take hold of the hope before us and may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on behalf, on our behalf, and he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the writer keeps referencing Melchizedek, and next time we are together, we'll get into that character in more detail. But what the writer is saying here in the second half of chapter 6 is that God made a promise to Abraham. He made a covenant with him. And he swore by himself. And, and the writer is saying, hey, when you want to make an oath, you swear by something greater than yourself. You swear by God. Swear on your mother's grave. Whatever it is, you swear on something that is holy, precious, and greater than yourself. But there's no one greater than God. There's no one better than God. So God had to swear by his own name. Abraham, this is my promise to you. And so this promise to the descendants of Abraham, the children, both genetic and spiritual children of Abraham, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, firm and secure. Remember a minute ago, he's talking about losing your salvation. But now he's talking about a hope that is firm and secure, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus. And we have this hope and Jesus, it enters behind the inner sanctuary, behind the curtain. Now, this is a reference that really only Jewish people would get unless you know about these things. The holy place, the holy of holies in the Jewish temple, only the priests could go into the holy place. And in the holy place, there was a curtain that blocked off another room that only the high priest could enter once a year, that inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. And it was the place where the presence of God, you know, dwelled. Not as if God could only dwell in one place, but it was this idea that this is where the presence of God is manifest. No one can enter because all have sinned and that barrier, that curtain is there. But Jesus went in first. And when he rose from the dead, he came back and said, come with me. He was the first of those to rise from the dead. The fully human part of Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. But we enter in with him through faith. And our priest is not a Levitical priest. Our priest is Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. And we as Christians are priests. I, I believe firmly in the priesthood of all believers, that all believers are servants of God. I don't believe that as a pastor that I'm a priest. I don't believe that uh, I have to go to someone for confession or that someone is, is, is so, sort of this bridge between God and people. That's Jesus. Jesus is the bridge between God and all people. And we can stand firm and secure in that. So where does that leave us? Friends, it leaves us here. The only way to have salvation, the only way to have forgiveness of sins is through Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the only way. Do not think 
that just because you went to church, you did a ritual, your name's on a confirmation sheet or you have a baptism certificate or whatever, that that guarantees your salvation. Do not think that just because you had a spiritual experience or you professed faith, that you're good now and you can just take your foot off the pedal. And at the same time, those of us who have experienced Jesus, those of us who know the grace of God, we can be holding firm and secure and certain that Jesus has entered the Holy of Holies. As the Bible says, when Jesus died, the curtain that separated God from people was torn in two from top to bottom. And we have bold access to God because of our high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes on our behalf, who knows who are his, and we, his sheep, hear the shepherd's voice and we know who our shepherd is. We come running. You know what? This is a divisive topic. You can email me, adam at faithonhill.com with any questions. You can always show up on a Sunday morning and talk about it. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. We'll see you this Sunday at 1030 a.m. We have youth group on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., small groups that meet throughout the week, and we'll be back together for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. Bible Study.